How do we know that God will keep his promises? How do we know that God will do what he says? Sometimes we uh, read the Bible. Sometimes we, we don't understand what we read. We, don't, we might understand what it's saying, but we might not understand how it fits with what's going on in our life today or how what God says in his word is true, and yet how do we reconcile that with what we see around us? God says he'll, for example, God says he'll provide for our needs, and yet sometimes we struggle to get by, or we struggle to make it. Or God says nothing can separate us from the love of God, but sometimes God seems distant, right? So in those moments, how do we know? Sometimes we wonder, how is God keeping his promise right now? Or how do we know that he is going to and he is right now? keeping his promise. And this passage this morning talks to us about how God responds to us in those moments. How does God respond when we are doubting or are confused or when we simply don't know? How does he respond to us? Does he respond at all? Is he frustrated? Is he impatient? When we have questions, how does God respond? That's the situation Abraham is in this morning in Genesis 15. Abram is just not sure how God is going to do what he promises. And God responds to Abram in an incredible way. He responds and says, fear not, because I am your shield and your reward. He responds with a promise And he responds with a covenant. And we'll see all those responses this morning. So if you have a Bible, read with me in Genesis 15. It'll also be on the screen. Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven, and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, 
Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Father God, open our eyes to see your amazing truth this morning, that we may glorify you. Amen. So we read here these responses of God to Abram. We see Abram's doubting, his questioning, his simply not knowing, and we see God's response. And the first thing we notice as we begin to read is when God comes, he says, Fear not. Fear not, Abram. God's word comes to Abram and he says, fear not. This is, a, this is a command. It occurs several times throughout the Bible, 36 times. And this is the first time in the Bible where we hear this. Don't be afraid. Fear not. And so this, this is God reassuring Abram. God knows what Abram is experiencing, what he's going through. And God wants to come to him and comfort him, assure him in this. So it's not just that Abram's supposed to try and fear less and muster up enough mental fortitude so that he stops worrying or fearing about these things. No, God doesn't just say fear not. He gives Abram reasons to not fear. He gives him explanations for why he should not be afraid. He is starting to fill Abram's mind with these truths to help him not be afraid. And that's how it is for us, too, really. We, we read the Word of God. We renew our minds. We memorize the Scripture so that we can hold on to it in those moments and not be worried, not be afraid. So these are the things that Abram hears from God. First, God says, I am your shield. I am your shield. God was protecting and preserving Abram. It's not, uh, this is not just the thing that God says to Abram. If you remember the last chapter, Abram had just defeated four kings and taken all their spoil back. And now it wouldn't be hard to imagine that those kings were not thrilled that they had just been defeated and conquered. And so it's not hard to imagine that Abram has a real concern about them coming back and possibly wiping him out. They were greater than Abram, probably. Four kingdoms. And so when God says this, God's not ignoring a real possibility, a real threat, a real danger. But he is saying, fear not, because I am your shield. And so we're in the same situation. Sometimes we may not face life-threatening situations that might happen. But we face real concerns, real concerns. And so one of the clearest examples we can point to in the past few months is that we face 
uh, real things that come up from COVID, from the virus. We can, you know, debate and say, well, I think it's overblown, or I think people aren't taking it seriously enough. But regardless of what we think on that, we all agree that there are very real effects that we are going through because of it and because of how it is handled. And so we know that these are real things, real changes, real effects on our lives, real differences, more real isolation that we face because of it. And sometimes we can be concerned, we can become worried about those things. And it's not just the virus. This happens in lots of things in life. We can become concerned, we can become anxious about things that are coming up. But God comes to us and says, fear not, I am your shield. The reason we shouldn't be fearful is because God is our shield. He is protecting us just like in battle with swords and arrows all around us protecting us so that we aren't just simply living openly exposed to evil and the power of evil. No, he is our shield so that whatever happens to us, whatever happens to us is not because of the enemy. It's not because Satan somehow is winning in this moment, although he may be attacking us, but ultimately it's because whatever happens to us is because our Heavenly Father is being good to us and knows that this is part of His divine plan for what is truly best for us. That's what it means to have Him as our shield. And so we don't have to live paralyzed or in fear, even though we are wise and humble. We believe that He is our shield and we continue to live in faith. So that's the first thing that God says to Abram. I am your shield. He gave a second reason, though, why he should not be afraid. First he says, I am your shield. And then he says, your reward shall be very great. Your reward shall be very great. Again, I think this ties into what's just happened in the last chapter. You remember, Abram had just turned down a great reward from the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom offered to give him all the spoils from these four kingdoms that had just conquered him. Right? That's a great reward that Abram could have had. But Abram said no. And we talked about that last week. But here, you know, maybe some of those doubts start to creep in. Did I make the right decision? Am I going to be okay in life? Because now I'm not going to have that security of the wealth, the money. But here God says, no, he reiterates his promise that his reward will be very great. In other words, God hasn't changed anything. This is the same promise he made back in Genesis 12, and Abram is reminded of it. So for us, when we are afraid or anxious, when we face uncertainty, we, we need to remember not just what's going on around us, but what's coming in the future. What has God promised to do? He has promised us a reward, the reward of eternal life, the reward of life with him. Most, most of that goodness is not going to come to us during this life. It's promised to us that in this life we will have troubles that through many tribulations we enter the kingdom of God, as Paul said in, Rome, in Acts 14. 
but the difficulties, the sufferings of this world aren't worth comparing with what God has stored for us, the glory of God that is waiting for us in heaven. That reward will be greater. It will be very great, maybe to undersell it. And so this is what we can focus on. And this is what God reminded Abram of, that no, he was still there. His promise hadn't changed, that he would be his shield. He would be his, he would still give him a very great reward. It reminds me of what we just sang in, in Amazing Grace. He will be my shield and portion be. You remember that line? He will my shield and portion be. That's exactly what God is promising here to Abram. So God comes and he gives Abram these truths, these assurances, and he reminds him of these things. And Abram still has questions. He still has, he still doesn't know. He asks God, even after God says this, he says, how, how will you do this? How will you do this? That's essentially what he's saying. And this is so great. It's so honest. We, we understand what that is like when we know what God has promised. We read the Bible and we, we have a knowledge of it. But sometimes we forget it or we don't really understand. When we just have questions that come up in everyday life of what is God doing or how is he going to fit this into his plan? We, we have things that come up or concerns that come up. And so Abram is just this perfect example of what we go through. That we have these amazing promises from God, but we still like Abram, like Mary, we still ask, how will this be? And God responds to Abram. He responds in two ways, really. And we'll see this first in verses 1 through 6, and then the second response in 7 through 21. He responds first by repeating his promise. God repeats his promise to Abram. Abram asks a question. God just repeats what his promise would be in verses 5 through 6. This is kind of incredible. He doesn't give any new information to Abram. He just tells him, your offspring will be great. And he gives him this picture that we'll see in a moment. But God just repeats it. It's as if Abram just needs to hear it again. This is the promise. Let it rest and nestle deep into your soul that this is what God has said he will do. And Abram believes God, and it's counted to him as righteousness. One of the famous verses from this passage, verse 6. And so Abram was faced with this choice. Was he going to believe God and his promises in the face of questions, in the face of not knowing, how am I going to receive a child? I'm nearly 100 years old. And yet, he heard God say it. He heard God's promise, and he believed he believed that God would do this, that as he stood there looking up at the stars, the God who made these billions of stars, he believed that God, the God who made the universe, could give him a child and make his descendants as numerous as the stars. Abram believed God. This is, this is what faith is. Abram is an example of faith. Our series is I've titled it Faith and Faithfulness on the Life of Abraham. And here we see this faith displayed, that this is what faith is. God says something, and we believe in the deepest part of who we are that what he says is true, whether it's faith in the, in the smallest promises of God 
or faith in the, the gospel promise of God. Faith is trusting that God will do what he says. God will do what he says. That's how Romans, in our passage we read this morning, describes it in chapter 4. It says that Abram didn't weaken in his faith when he considered his own body. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. He gave, as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But then Romans reminds us that that's for us as well, not just Abram, that it was written for us as well. The words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification that God will keep his promises, that if we have this faith of Abraham, this belief that God acts with us the same way he does with Abraham, that he keeps his promise, he counts it as righteousness to us as well. So that's one way. That's the first way. And there's only one more way that God responds to Abraham. He, first, he repeats the promise to Abraham, simply repeats it. And then God makes a covenant with Abram. And this is truly incredible. God is really repeating the same process. First, God gives Abram a truth. I will give you this land. Then Abram responds with a question. How do I know this will happen? And then God responds. So this is the basic outline of verses 7 through 21. And this time, God doesn't just respond by repeating the promise, but by also making this covenant. A covenant is a promise, but it's more than that. It's a commitment. It's a binding together of two people. And what we read in verses 9 through 21 is a covenant ceremony. So first God says, just repeat the details if you don't remember from when we read, but you can follow along. First God says to bring the animals, cut them in two, and Abram does that. And then God states his promise. He says, I'm going to give you this land. He only says he only promises to give him the land, but I think from what we see in chapter 12 and what we see in chapter 17, that really this is an inclusiveness of all the promises that God has made to Abraham. That God is saying that he will give him the land, that he will make him a great nation and bless him and bless all the nations of the earth through him. God is swearing to do these things in a covenant here in this chapter. That's what the ceremony is. This is just how it works. You bring the animals, you make the promise, and then you complete the ceremony. And so that's what Abram's doing. And then, after Abram's cut them up and split them apart, then the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch pass between the cut up animals. And this is, uh, it's meant to make us think of, you remember when the Israelites were led by the prompt by the presence of God in the wilderness with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. You remember how the burning bush, the presence of God was speaking to Moses there. You remember on Mount Sinai how God came down. His presence was in the smoke and the fire that was filling the mountain, that God's presence was there. So here, this is meant to make us think of those things, that this is God's presence in these elements, the smoking fire pot, the flaming forge. This represents God passing through 
the cut animals. That's how you made a covenant. It was essentially saying, hey, if, if I don't keep my part of the covenant, may this happen to me. May I end up like these animals. May I be cut. May I die if, if this covenant isn't kept. And so God is swearing. He's making his promise. He's saying, I will bring this to pass. That's how God responded to Abram's question. So Abram could have confidence that God was going to do what he said because God entered into a covenant relationship with him. In other words, God isn't just distant and saying these things. No, God has committed himself to you. He has bound himself together with you. So no matter what Abram goes through, God is right there and has committed to keep these promises. And just like God entered into that relationship with Abram, God does that with us as Christians as well. God ties himself to us when we enter into a covenant relationship with him. You remember the promises. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you or behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. The fact that God has promised to be with us, to indwell us, through the Holy Spirit is proof that God has committed himself, that he will keep his promises. He hasn't just left us on our own, but he is with us. That's how God is reassuring Abram and his questions and his doubts. But there's something more that we need to notice about this covenant, right? God hasn't just said, as amazing as it is, as though it's a little thing that God says, I will be with you. I'm tying myself to you. God committing to a relationship with humanity. As amazing that is, God says that he is the one who is going to be responsible for making sure that this happens. Do you remember who passed through the animals? It was just God. Abram didn't pass through them. Normally, you would have both people making the covenant would pass through so that if either side broke the covenant, that person would be responsible, whoever broke it, and they would be the one who would be responsible with their life. But Abram doesn't pass through. This is amazing. Only God passes through. So that doesn't mean that Abram doesn't have responsibilities, but it is God saying that he is the one who's culpable, who's responsible to bring this to pass. We know that Abram has responsibilities in the covenant. He's supposed to obey, to walk in a blameless way, we see in Genesis 12 and we'll see in Genesis 17, to keep the covenant. And that is the way, by obeying, that's the way he'll be a blessing to the nations. He'll display what it means to be in a relationship with God, what it means to know him, and what it means to relate rightly to other people. And yet, even though both sides have responsibilities, Abram's supposed to obey, God is going to bless him and make him great. Even though both sides have these responsibilities, God doesn't have Abram walk through these animals. God doesn't make him culpable if either side doesn't live up to the agreement. If Abram doesn't live up to his agreement, God's responsible. If God doesn't live up to his side of the agreement, God's responsible. God's responsible for both sides. This is this is amazing if you think about it. Remember, there's consequences to this, right? This is not just a, 
a thing that God does simply as a symbolic gesture to show he's trustworthy. This is not something that God's making a massive gamble hoping that Abram's going to live up to his side. No, God knows he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. He knows that Abram and humanity is frail, is fragile, and fails. He will fail to keep his side of the covenant. And so when God makes this covenant with Abram, he knows what's going to happen. He knows that when he makes this covenant, that he is, as one commentator put it, he is signing the death warrants for his son Jesus in this moment because he is putting his life on the line to make sure that these happen, even though it means that his son will die. Because he knows, again, that Abram won't and can't keep his side of this covenant, that Abram is not able on his own to walk blamelessly, and the covenant will be broken. We see that with Abram and with his descendants. But here is maybe one of the first or clearest indications that we see of Jesus as the Messiah, that he must, as he said, suffer and die in the Old Testament. You remember when Jesus was walking after he was resurrected, explaining in Luke 24 to the disciples of all the examples in the Old Testament of him and how he must suffer and die. Well, this is probably one of the examples he gave that in making this covenant that it had to be kept, and if it wasn't kept, then it required life. It required death. This is amazing. That Jesus' death on the cross was in the place of Abram. When Jesus died, he died for Abram because Abram wouldn't have to die that way. If Abram had passed through the, the animals, he would have had to die when he broke the covenant. But he didn't. God said, no, I am going to take this responsibility. I love you so much that I'm going to make sure that this happens and be responsible for it. And so God made a way for an imperfect person to be able to be in a covenant, to be able to be in a relationship with God, so that Abram, who believed God, wouldn't have to die, but could experience the blessings of having a relationship with God. And really, that's the same thing for us. How can an imperfect person who cannot obey God, who cannot live righteously, be in a relationship with God? It's only if God makes a way. It's only if God makes it happen because we are incapable of making ourselves righteous. But when Jesus died on the cross, his payment was enough to make sure, to ensure, to give us assurance that everyone who believes in him won't perish, even though we're imperfect and deserve that, but that we will have eternal life because that price has been paid. Someone else has paid the price for when we have broken the commandments of God, when we have disobeyed God. Luke 24 says that we enter into this same kind of covenant relationship with God through repentance and forgiveness of sins. Repentance by turning away, by having a changed life. You can't live the same life after coming to Jesus that you did before because now our life is made new. We're new creations. He changes us. That's what the Christian life is about, and that's a good thing. That's repentance, turning away from sin and to God. It's forgiveness that if we confess our sins, he will be faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins. 
And as we receive forgiveness through faith, through trusting that this is what God does, he brings us into this relationship with God. So this is what God is doing in this covenant. He is telling us that this is the kind of love he has. This is the kind of assurance he gives. We still kind of haven't answered the question, though. Why would God do this? We've seen we've seen that what he is doing, that he is committing to make this happen, regardless of Abram's worth, that he can't make it happen. But why? Even if Abram can't and doesn't live up to his side of the agreement, why does God do this? In doing this, God is demonstrating his unbounding love that he has for Abram. Remember, God is saying this, God is making this covenant in response to Abram's question, to his doubts, to his not knowing. And as the greatest demonstration of God's commitment and promise-keeping faithfulness to Abram, he makes this covenant to Abram. He cares so much about him and wants to reassure him so much that he is willing to put his life on the line to guarantee that it will happen. And that shows the love that God has for his people. It's it's a reminder. It makes me think of Romans 8 where it says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God has gone so far as to sacrifice his own son, then surely nothing will be able to separate us from his love. We can have assurance that he will do what he says. God is not in this relationship with Abram because of what Abram brings to the table or because he has special abilities or talents or skills. I mean, gosh, if you think about it, God gave all those things to Abram in the first place when he created him. But God is in this relationship with Abram and with you and me as Christians because he loves you. He's committing himself to you. He wants you to have this relationship with him and see how amazing and great and good and joyous it is. And so he knows, just like Abram, that we're not worthy, that we're not good enough. We can't live up to these standards of a perfect God. And that's that's okay because, not because sin is a simple or light thing that we shouldn't take seriously, but because Jesus took care of that on the cross. And that made the way, the way, the truth, and the life for us to receive holiness as a gift and have this deep, intimate, joyous relationship with God forever. So this is how God assures us, just like he assured Abram. When we have questions, when we have doubts, he reminds us of his promise, that he he has given us a promise. He reminds us not only that he's given us a promise, but that he's entered into a relationship, a covenant relationship with us, that we are tied together. That's why the New Testament speaks so much of being in Christ. We're united with him. And so just one practical application of this would be when we think about death or we're faced with thinking about thoughts of what comes after How do we know that God's going to do what he says? How do we know that the Bible is true? That we will end up with him if we believe? How do we know that we won't just cease to exist? 
or be in hell? How can we be confident of that? And this passage tells us that we can be confident because God will do what he says in his word, that he has made promises, and he has gone gone so far as to show us that he will keep his promises, that he was willing to die to bring us into a relationship with him, to show us the kind of love and the kind of commitment he has in this relationship. And we can rest in that. And that bedrock truth gives us comfort. It gives us assurance when we have questions or we just don't know what God is doing or how he will do it. So this is our God. This is God. He is a covenant-making God. Do you have a covenant relationship with him? Is this how you view your relationship with him? Have you repented and received forgiveness through faith in Jesus? If Yes, then this is something to marvel at. Genesis 15 is truly one of the amazing passages in the Bible that shows us God's love and commitment. And if not, if you don't have that relationship, that covenant relationship, then then you need to do that today. You need to come to him today and enter into that because Jesus has made a way for that to be possible. So we're going to sing a song here to close and it's a time of really responding to God. We want to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We want to respond. And so respond to God through singing, respond to God through praying. Use this time to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you want to talk to me uh, about what it means to respond or what it means to follow Jesus or what it means to be a, a part of this church, please come do that with me. You can come talk to me during the song or talk to me after the service. But use this as a time to respond, to praise God for what he has said to us in his word this morning. Let's sing together.